Can we just put our hands together and say a big hello to our church family tuning in via video? That's right. Glad you're tuning in. You're just as much a part of our service as those in attendance today. I want to look in the eyes and tell you I love you. I love being your pastor. Uh, This is the absolute best church on the planet. I believe that. Uh, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate uh, your encouraging words, your, your cards, your small gifts, your baked goods, loving my wife, loving my kids, loving my friends like Pastor Cliff and his family, uh, free meals throughout the week. God bless you. Come on, somebody. Your pastor likes to eat. I just, I love you and I love being your pastor and thank you for letting me serve you each and every week. Uh, I just want to tell you that up front. Uh, yesterday, as you heard a minute ago, we had well over a hundred people that served on serve day. You talk about a turnout. It was incredible. We were mowing lawns and installing AC units and installing wheelchair ramps and passing out cold water and hot cookies and praying for people and visiting people in care facilities and hospitals. It was amazing. And I want to give a special shout out to to our office uh, staff, uh, Nancy Burleson, absolutely killed it this week. She kind of just took the mantle. I absolutely love having people on the team that I don't have to, like I went to her and said, hey, could you do this? And she says, it's already been done. Come on, that's awesome. Like when you have people that just do things, Kathy Post, Cindy Brewster, I have the best office team ever. And uh, I, I just love you. So let's just say thanks to them. If you see people that served on serve day, I'm excited to start our new series and actually just enter in a new season. Uh, I want to lead you through a season where we refresh ourselves and honestly, just seek God together. I don't know if you're like this, but this is me. That sometimes in the summertime, we get into what's called the summer slump and we take a break from our schedules and from school. And sometimes we take a a break from our spiritual lives as well. I have been guilty of that. And so knowing that's true of me, I decided before I even got here, way back in March, before I arrived here as pastor, I said, I've already planned out my sermon series through next Mother's Day. Uh, I'm open to the Holy Spirit, but I just like to plan ahead of time. And I knew that this is what I want to talk about in the middle of the summer in July, this series, this week, and it's called God's Love Language. Let me just tease something that's fixing to happen. Next month, we're gonna do a series on prayer. We're gonna do the 14 days of prayer, which I'm really excited about. We had over 60 people praying with us every weekday morning at 6 a.m. When we did that in April, I was so blessed to be joined by so many of you. So we're gonna do that again in August, right before school starts. And then August the 18th, we're going to celebrate, we're going to party, we're having our 65th birthday party as a church. That's exciting. And uh, I just found out this morning, nobody even knows this, but at 7.30, he called me, 7.30, uh, Gerald Garner is going to be here to lead worship for us on that day. Is that not awesome? I'm so, it's been 23 years since he led on this day. Some of you are like, who is that? He was my music minister and he's going to bless you if you don't know him. I'm so excited to have Gerald in the building. It's going to be a great time on the 25th. We're going to cast some vision. We're looking to 2020 vision. And then in September, we're going to do a series called You Asked For It. And if you remember on Easter, I polled everybody, the 625 attendees that day, and said, what kind of sermons would you like to hear? Because I want you to have influence on on what we talk about uh, from this pulpit. And so I got some feedback. The number one request that was asked is said, you know what? I love Jesus. I don't love her. How do I forgive her? It's all about forgiveness. So that's message one. We're going to talk about how do you forgive. And so all that whole series is going to be questions and topics that you specifically asked for. It's called You Asked For It. I'm excited about that. But right now we're going to talk about God's love language. There's a book called The Five Love Languages written in 1992 by uh, Gary Chapman. It's a great book. It's a marriage book. 
and I'll summarize it for you. I'll give the cliff notes to you right now so you don't have to buy it. Uh, He says there's five love languages and we all feel loved in one of the five ways. That we feel loved by spending time with someone else. We feel loved when we're encouraged with words. We feel loved when there's an act of service done on our behalf. We feel loved when someone gets us a gift, gift giving, and we feel loved by physical touch. He says, everybody has one of those love languages. And one of the greatest things, discoveries that JC and I had in our marriage was, I don't have the same love language she does. And because she feels loved in a certain way, it makes sense to her that she should love me in that way because that's how she feels loved. But she's speaking Italian. I'm like, hello, I speak Spanish. We were speaking different languages because her love language is acts of service. And so I would come home and the house would be clean and dinner would be on the table. And I appreciate that. But my love language is physical touch. I just won't touch you. I just like, that's what I want or encouraging words is another one of mine. So we were speaking different languages. And when I figured out that she likes acts of service, well, then I learned that I don't, she don't really want to be touched. I know that's not true. I, I just learned like. Like I, I, I've got to love her in that way. So when I leave and I'll go to a camp or I'll go speak elsewhere, uh, I all, like one of the last things I want to do is not whisper sweet nothings in her ear. It's not to buy her a gift when I'm gone. Right before I leave, I clean the toilets in Jesus' name. And she calls me and she goes, you love me. I'm like, I do. I love you a whole bunch. I just know that's how she feels loved. What's God's love language? What's God's love language? I'm, I'm just going to tell you up front. I'm going to end the suspense It's worship. God absolutely is crazy about you worshiping him. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to challenge how you think about worship. And it's going to be uncomfortable for some of us. Just get ready for that. But I want to start by making this statement that everybody in the room worships something. We all worship something. So even if you're not a Christian this morning, you worship. You can't help it. You were created by God to worship and you worship something. And it may not look like clapping and singing But you're worshiping something. Something is getting your adoration. Something is getting your worship. Worship is love expressed. In fact, I like to define it this way. Worship is a response to the things that we value most. So all of you have something that's really, really important to you. It could be you. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your job. It could be... um, A sport. It could be uh, a sports team. It could be money. It could be golf. It could be video games. It's what you adore. Let me submit to you. It's also what you worship. I want to be very clear as we jump into this series. God is not concerned with or upset about you adoring other things other than him. He just has a real problem when you adore things more than you adore him. Because you're not supposed to worship those things. You're only created to worship him. So let me say that again. He's not opposed to you loving other things and having hobbies and people in your life that you really, really adore. He just has a big issue if you adore those things more than you adore him. And it's fine to get excited about other things. But we were created to bring pleasure and honor and glory and worship to God alone. He's the only one really worthy of our worship. And I encourage you to think through your own life And say, is God really at the top of my priority list? Is he really the object of my affection? I maintain myself included that from time to time we replace God. So we're still worshiping him. He's just not at the top place. He's not at the place where I'm really giving my energy and my devotion and my time and my money, my activity, my schedule. That's how you measure what's really at the throne of your heart. Whatever you're worshiping, you can actually become obsessed with. And whatever you become obsessed with, you begin to imitate 
and whatever you imitate, you actually become. That's biblical, by the way. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we behold Jesus and we become more like Jesus. If you're beholding and imitating and obsessing with something, you'll actually become that. So if you don't like who you are today, you might want to look at who's at the throne of your heart because you've probably become that which you're worshiping. Now, the Bible addresses the fact that there's going to be a generation in the last days who does what I'm calling the not-so-great exchange. The not-so-great exchange, when we end up putting other things where God belongs. Romans 1 is an incredible chapter. I encourage you to read it this week. Uh, But here are a few verses, three verses, verses 21 through 23. It says, For although they knew God... So let me stop right there. This is for people who know God. This is for the church. This is for you. This is for me. They know God, but watch this. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So they say, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. I know God, but they never gave thanks to him nor glorified him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and the not so great exchange. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They put something in place of God and every time you do that, your life will not work. In their generation, they exchanged an immortal God for images that look like a mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. And you may be thinking, well, I don't got a reptile statue in my bedroom, so I'm good. No, no. It's anything that, that we would put as an idol in our, in our lives. Like, yes, maybe you don't have a golden calf statue in your living room, but that doesn't mean you haven't exchanged something, some idol, something has taken the throne of your heart where God rightfully belongs. That's how you know what you really worship, what you think about, love, value, spend money on, give devotion and and a lot of time to. By the way, I know this is pretty hard hitting in the middle of July, and I really wish there was a funny joke that would transition, but there's not, so just hang with me. I want you to write down five things I'm I'm convinced that we've exchanged in the not-so-great exchange, and just take inventory of your own heart. And I'm just going to tell you, this is going to blow you up a little bit, because it blew me up. As I was preparing this, I'm going, like, I know where some of this lands with me, so I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you, but I think that we do these, these five not-so-great exchanges. Here's the first one. It's the word substitute. Substitute. I was going to say write down what you likely substitute in the place of God, but don't do that because the person sitting next to you is going to judge you possibly. (laughs) They're peeking at your paper. Really? Right? Don't do that. But you all know that thing. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be your career. It could be football. That's it for me sometimes if I'm honest. I absolutely love football. I think people that know me know that about me. I, I, I think about it. I want to watch it. I want to play it. it. When can I do it next? And I know football is very popular in our state, and I get that, but if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll let football become something that we worship, that we continually think about. It's the focus of our attention, our money, our time, our devotion, our schedule. Is God against football? No, not at all. But it's not good when we exchange football to literally have a higher place in our hearts than he does. And you just have to judge for yourself if that's true of you. It's scary in Texas because I think think football is a god. And I'm going to tell you why I think that. 
In the book of Psalms, it talks about what worship looks like. We're going to dive into that in a couple of weeks. But it talks about singing and, and dancing and lifting hands and shouting out. 150 chapters, the longest book in the Bible, all about worship. And when I read about worship in this book, it looks more like a Saturday afternoon at a stadium than a Sunday morning in a church service. That's a problem. That's a problem. We've substituted something else. We're giving something else our worship, a six and six Red Raider football team, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm Reckham, I'm just saying. Here's a great verse for you, Deuteronomy 6, 14 and 15. Do not follow other little G gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God is among you, is a jealous God. I imagine God just saying, man, I wish you'd shout that way for me. I wish you'd come to church four hours early and tailgate for me. Wouldn't that be something if Johnny Irons out there cooking barbecue at 6 a.m.? That'd be awesome, <laughs> right? I'd love that. God's saying, just get excited about me, right? Hello, come early, be loud, stay late. Here's the second one. And that is we sometimes exchange true worship with pride, with pride. In other words, our pride gets in the way. And what I mean by pride is in your heart you want to worship God, but you're afraid what other people are going to think about you. Like, well, they're going to think I'm a fanatic. Who cares? Like, really? Are you really concerned about them thinking you're a fanatic? Or I feel sometimes we get so concerned with the person to the left or to the right or in front or in the behind us. We, we get so concerned with, if I raise my hand, they're going to think I have problems, so I'm just going to keep it right here. We think everybody in the room is watching us, so we get the good old groomsman pose, right? The left over right, and we just stand there like this, and we worship... And that's a problem, right? It's, it's a pride thing. Now, I grew up in this church and I loved it, uh, but I remember the first time I went to an, an experience, and we're doing that a little bit more today. I saw some of you doing it with me this morning, but where they were raising their hands and, and, and I just, I, I experienced worship and I never, I never experienced it in that way before. And I, I knew the Bible well enough to know that it was biblical, but I just kind of thought all that stuff was pictorial. You know, I, I knew like, you're supposed to shout to the Lord, but I just thought maybe you just shouted in your heart, right? I, I didn't know how that worked out, but there was something in me that was like, I don't know what to think about all this, and it was a little odd for me, if I'm honest, but I was very intrigued by it at the same time. So I'm very sympathetic to those of you who've never done that, who've never raised your hands or raised your voices loudly to God. I get that, but at the summer camp, I'll never forget it. Uh, it was Thursday night, and, and the, the students that were there were all just like raising their hands and and I thought, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I waited for my moment, right? It was Thursday night. And uh, that's, when, when, that's when God moves on Thursday nights at camp. And, and so I waited till my song, right? Because they've been playing this song all week. Like, here it comes, here it comes. And the bridge, you were talking about the bridge. You know, that's the moment that they write that. And they're like, this is the moment. And it got to this, the bridge. I'm like, here I go. Boom. And I turned around and I was so convinced that everybody's going to be staring at me. Ain't nobody looking at me. They don't care. Nobody cares. But I, I just remember just like, just having that freedom of going, God, that was, I just surrender to you. I want to lift my hands to you. I want to worship your holy name. It's amazing how we can become so conscious about what people think and not be concerned about what God thinks. Oh, let me say that again. It's amazing to me how we become so conscious with what other people think and not be concerned one iota with what God might think. Jesus dealt with this exact thing in John 12, 42 and 43, when he said, many 
even among the leaders, believed in him. They believed in him. Man, that's Jesus. That's God in the flesh. They believed in him, but, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out in the synagogue. Watch this. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Are you getting that? Let's not let that be us, Colonial Hill. That we're so concerned about what other people think that we don't care what God thinks. That we really wanted to worship. I had worship going on in my shoe. I just didn't let it make it up to the way rest of my body. Right? I, I want to just, God, I love you. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I, I'm not substituting pride for you. I worship you. Worship God because he's worthy. Here's the third word. It's kind of an interesting word. You might not even know the definition, but it's the word hedonism. Hedonism. And hedonism, you need to know that because we live in a hedonistic society. Hedonism is the belief that pleasure or happiness is the goal of life. So in other words, you measure how you're supposed to live based on how it feels. If it feels good, do it. And I've talked to some people in our church, and I've said, you know, They've said, I want to raise my hands, but I don't. They've told me that. And I said, why don't you? And, and some have told me, and I love you. I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling you this is something I struggled with too for a long time. I said, I don't feel it. And, and, and listen, <laughs> feelings are wonderful. There's nothing better than the presence of God falling in a service. And we talk about it and we sing about it. But listen, listen, we're not here to give you spiritual goosebumps. It's not about feelings. We don't worship God if it feels right. Oh, I felt it in the song. I felt it. We worship God because he's worthy and he's holy. That's why we worship God. So whether I feel it or not, that really doesn't matter. He's worthy of our worship. So here's how that plays out practically. Well, I don't like that song. So I'm just going to stand here and wait till they get to the next one. Well, I don't like that organ. Bring that guitar back up there. That's how I like to worship. That's how it plays out practically. Look, I get it. You're 22 and you like Christian rock and roll. But that organ isn't playing for you. It's playing for him. It's playing for him. And everything we do up here is based on God, what he deserves and what he is worthy of. There's a concept you need to understand in scripture. It's found in the Old and New Testaments. This is Hebrews chapter 13. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us not wait till we feel like it, but let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his names. In other words, I'm not waiting until I feel like it. I'm going to give God what he deserves because he's worthy of that, whether I feel like it or not. In fact, I think it's better when it costs you something, when it's a sacrifice. You know what? I don't like this song, and I don't like the instruments, and that guy's voice is, mm, but I'm going to worship because he's worthy, because he's worthy. I'm going to give God what he deserves and disregard my feelings. And somebody says, well, I don't worship that way. That's not my personality. What if it's God's personality? What if it's God's love language? Again, what is God's love? I don't, I don't love JC based on what I like. I love her based on what she likes. And we have the same challenge. This is what God desires from us. And we need to give him what he loves, which is our worship. Here's the first one, fourth one. <laughs> I don't even know if this is a real word. I just put it in there. Spectatorism spectatorism and you know what that is it just if I I believe if I show up I'm worshiping right I can fill my pew and watch and that counts God's glad I'm here listen worship is not a service we call it a worship service it is not a service worship is an expression 
Remember, worship is your response to what you value most. So I really wouldn't want to be a spectator if he's truly who I valued most. Sometimes you get in here and we just, we just spectate. Right? We just spectate. Pastor Cliff starts playing, we just we spectate. We're not called to spectate, we're called to participate. So let's start participating. Don't be spectators, be participators. If I tell my wife, JC, if I say, I love you, honey, but I'm not going to do anything for you. Don't expect any hugs or kisses. And I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you now, but I'm not going to tell you again. I love you. And I'm not going to spend any time with you or do any acts of service or ever did nothing like this is it. But you know, in my heart, I love you. That ain't going to fly. Okay. That's not going to work. Our marriage is not going to make it. Right. She needs, to know, she needs to hear, I love you. Last night I was being the forest and she was going to bed. She went to bed a little earlier than me. I was in the room uh, finishing this up and, and she, she goes, I love you. And I just didn't say anything. I was just being mean. She goes, I love you, right? And she knows I love her. She does. She wanted to hear it. Hey, everybody, God wants to hear, I love you. I love you. Oh, well, I know, you know I love you in my heart. I love you. And he wants you to worship him. He wants you to get excited about coming to church. He wants to see you get engaged in worship and to sing. He didn't say make a pretty noise. He said make a joyful one. Just, hey, I'm going to sing. I love you, right? That's what I'm talking about. Don't be just a spectator. That's sometimes what we substitute. Look at James 4, 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Look me in my eyes and hear this. Some of you are waiting on God to make a move. He already made his move. It was called the cross. He said, I I express my love to you in a way that you'll never be able to express it to me. I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins. That's what I, I made the move. Now you make the move towards me. And I know that that's a different next step for everybody in the room, but you just need to make a move. Let me ask you this question. If that verse is true, and you could leave here today knowing that God drew closer to you, that he drew near to you. Would you say that's a win? Yes. So what are we waiting on? He said, I made the move. You come near, near to me. I'll draw near to you. I'll come near to you. But you've got to make the first move. The second move. He's already made the first move. Here's what uh, Hebrews 10.22 says. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings. Just get closer. Whatever that looks like for you. Again, I know we have different next steps. Just take one. Get closer. Come near to God. Here's the last one. I'm just talking about things we've exchanged worship for. The fifth one is tradition. Tradition. Now again, I grew up here and I have nothing but great fond memories of my childhood here at Colonial Hill Baptist Church. But that's why I wanted to come back and lead it, because I love this church, but sometimes our tradition gets in the, re- it's a replacement for worship itself, and I'm going to give you an example. And I don't remember this, I was about 16 when this happened, and I was not involved in church polity, I didn't care about church polity at 16, but I've heard about it since then, and I remember this. And if this is you, and you were on the other side of this debate, uh, I don't judge you, because I don't even know who you are, so don't tell me later, okay? But when we... About, I don't know, mid-90s, we decided we're going to put up these screens up here. 
Some of y'all getting tense. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We put these screens up here and you think it was World War III. We can't, we can't desecrate the sanctuary. Do you know that this isn't the sanctuary? Did you know that? This is just a building with bricks. This is not the sanctuary. Now we give it reverence, but you're the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God. You're the temple. This is just a building where we come to worship. But there was a, there was a little bit of an argument 25 years ago about these screens. We, we like the hymnals. God can't use screens. And what's funny to me is 25 years later, those same people, I'm guessing, are probably complaining when the screens didn't work last week. Where are the screens? I can't see the words. I don't know what the screen. <laughs> right? It's silly. It's silly. And I get we've done things and we honor our traditions, but at the same time, we can't replace worship with tradition. We cannot do that. Or we'll never truly worship God. Well, God likes hymnal books better. <laughs> no, he doesn't. You don't worship God based on a method. You don't worship God with a particular instrument or method. You worship God whenever he is really the affection of your heart. And you've got you've to be careful you don't adore traditions more than you adore Jesus. You've got to be careful. We have to say, I want you more than anything else. And I don't, if everything on this stage changed, I'm okay with that as long as we still can connect and I can worship you. Well, that's just the way things are always done. Just be careful with that, okay? Just be careful with that. That's all I'm saying. Jesus dealt with this one himself in Matthew 15, 3. Jesus himself replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? See, the Pharisees were fussing at Jesus because his disciples weren't doing what the customs were. And Jesus says, yeah, but you're just really worshiping the customs. You're not worshiping God. Look at verse six. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. He goes, your tradition has nullified God's word in your hearts. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. They honor me with their screens. They honor me with their hymn books. They honor me with their guitars. They honor me with their organs. They honor me with these things, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Now listen, I like hymn books. I like pews. I love our stained glass windows. I think we have the most beautiful church on the planet. I do, and I've been to several. And I actually dig the organ. But anytime any of those things become more important to us than God or growing God's kingdom, then it becomes a problem. That's what Jesus is saying. It becomes just lip service. He doesn't want that. He doesn't care if there's a screen on the wall or a hymnal in your hand. He just wants you. That's what he wants. That's the truth. What does God really want? Does God want me to clap? No, no. The clapping and the singing and all of that, they're just simply byproducts of something that is much deeper. And we'll talk those, about those expressions in a couple of weeks, but let's answer this question. What does God really want? What is worship? And I'm gonna give you very simply one of the most powerful Psalms in the entire Bible. It's a beautiful. Psalm 50 is actually a prophetic Psalm. So David David wrote it, but he didn't write it. Does that make sense? Like he wrote it, but it was God speaking. And so it's written from a perspective of God. So David penned it, but it was God speaking these words. Psalm 50, beginning in verse 8 through 15. It says, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer. So at this point in history, God had instituted an animal sacrifice system, and that's what they were doing. But then watch what he says. But I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. He says, I don't really need your animals. I don't need your animals. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. 
I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. He says, you're giving me something I already have. Like you're making sacrifices and that's great. I just don't need that. I don't need that. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for all the world is mine and everything in it. So you say, when you bring your tithes, yeah, I appreciate that. I love it when you give your offerings to the church, but I own everything anyway. I don't need your money. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? It's setting up the question, what do you need, God? Right? He's saying, you're giving me all these things. I don't need any of that stuff. Here is what I need. Let me say it this way. Worship is giving God something he doesn't already have. Look at the next line. Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. He goes, if you love me, just tell me you love me. That's what I want. And keep the vows you made to the most high. And then call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. You see, the one thing God doesn't already have, the one thing he doesn't have is worship. You say, no, 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 that's theologically inaccurate. He has everything. He had everything, but he gave something away. He gave away worship. It was his, and if he wanted to control it, he could. He is God after all, but he removed his ability to take worship from you so you would willingly offer it, and that is worship. What are you talking about? Well, God just told you. Write these down. Worship, here's the the first one. Worship is thanking him. Just thank him. It's that simple. Just thank him. When the sun pumps up tomorrow, look him in the heavens and say, hey, I love you. Thank you. This is the day the Lord has made. I want to rejoice and be glad in it. A lot of you know that we do a Johnson Family Fun Day, usually on Monday, Monday Fun Day at the Johnson House, and we we go do something, and we'll take them bowling or putt-putt or movie theater. We'll go to the park and play on the playground or whatever. We'll do different things. And my oldest son, Zach, he's, he's got an allowance now. He's, he's making some money when he does chores. And I don't need him to pay me back. You know, we do that. And it's kind of expensive, I mean, to do some fun activity every single week. I don't need him to say, hey, Dad, here's the 20 bucks for bowling. I don't need that. You know all that I need? This is what I need. I need for him to get in my truck, to shut that truck door and go, Dad is great. Dad is the best. I love my dad. That's all I want. That's all I want. That's all I need. It's just for him to acknowledge, hey, thanks, Dad. Thanks for taking us out. You didn't have to take us out, but you did. Thank you. People tell me nice things all the time, and I appreciate encouraging words. It is a love language of mine. But let me just tell you, uh, it doesn't puff me up, except when my kids do it. So a couple of Christmases ago, I bought my son, Jason, I bought our son the, the uh, Royal Rumble. I said I because I took him, and she took our youngest to Disney. And we split it up. That's the first and only time we've ever vacationed separately. But that's Jack's happy place, and Zach loves WWE. And so we went to Philadelphia. We went to the Royal Rumble, and uh, we got, like, amazing seats because they messed up our seats. So the manager moved us to the second row, and then we got to the front row, and it was like, we're right there. We could touch them. We were on TV. It was awesome. And... Uh, and he had a best, the best time. And so we're supposed to fly back on Monday morning. And, and I surprised him and I said, hey, what if we stay one more night and watch Monday Night Raw? And he's like, oh, right? And a little bit later into the weekend, we were coming home and he looked at me and he goes, you're the man. And I, it just made me feel so good. <laughs> it did. I was like, it was worth it. It was worth all of the trouble. I just get a feeling that when, when the sun pops up tomorrow, what if you just looked up at God and go, you're the man, I love you. You're such a good God. Thank you for giving me the breath in my lungs. Just thank him. 
Just thank him. That's what he wants, is to thank him. That's worship. Second Chronicles 16, 9. It's not on the screen. It says, the eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth. What's he looking for? The eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the earth to what? Find people who gave tithe this week? No. See if you were in church this week? No. He's looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. You know, I'm just looking for somebody who just says, I love you. I give you the honor and the praise and the glory and my adoration. Number two, here's the second thing he asks in that text in Psalm 50. Fulfill vows. What are vows? Vows are when you take the relationship to a new level. So what do we do? We just offer him. Offer him what? Offer him you. Just give him all of you. For some of you in this room, you need to take your relationship from the casual, I just show up on Sundays, I could never do this seven days a week. I mean, I like God and everything, and I gave him my life, but I don't really want to give him my whole life, just kind of my Sunday morning life. I'm okay with that. And you need to stop dating Jesus and put the ring on the finger and saying, I'm walking down the aisle, and I'm giving you my life. I'm, I'm going to say some vows. I'm fulfilling some vows to you. I give you my life. I surrender it to you. You surrendered yours to me. That's what he wants. Let me show it to you in Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, and some of your translations may say just to give yourselves, just give yourselves to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So worship's just waking up saying, Lord, I give you my marriage, I give you my kids, I give you my email, I give you my social media, I give you my breath, I give you my school, I give you my time. It's yours. Offer yourselves to God. Here's the last thing and we're done. Remember what God said in Psalm 50, give thanks, thank him, fulfill your vows. And then he says, when you're in trouble, I want you to call me. You call everybody else, call me. Here's how I like to say it, include him, include him. What does that mean, Pastor Reed? I'm just saying, as you're driving down the road, include him in your driving. As you're sitting down for a meal, include him in your meal. Include him in your career, include him, just include him. It's worship to God when he gets to be a part of your whole life. I'm gonna ask Cliff to come. What does God really want? God wants me to offer everything of myself to him. Everything I do, that I am, all that I have. What does God really want? God wants me to include him and call on him. He wants to be your Monday God and your Tuesday God, not just your Sunday God. And all those things, what I'm really seeing is one word. He wants a relationship. I just wanna have a relationship with you. That's what I want more than anything else. And there's some of you here today and you say, you know what, Reed, I've never, I've never really done the relationship thing. I've done the religion thing where I've come to church, I've even opened my Bible and I've sang some songs and I've prayed some prayers, but I don't know that I have a relationship. I know a lot about God. I don't know that I know God. And I want you to have a relationship today because the relationship is honestly what saves you. It's not religion, not saved by works, but you're saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that and receive that today for yourself. So I'd love for every head to bow and every eye to close. And I do this every week. And the reason I do it is because I don't want people looking around because of one of those substitutes I talked about, pride. I don't want to raise my hand because people, what are people going to think about me? They already think I'm a Christian. So if I raise my hand and show that I'm not a Christian, then they may make fun of me or judge me. So I have everybody close their eyes. And those of you that are watching at home, you can make a decision as well. But I would love to know, in a minute I'm gonna pray for you, and if that's you, you say, Pastor Reed, I want you to include me in that prayer. I need a relationship with Jesus today. 
I want to pray for you, but I need to know who I'm praying for. Every single week, hands go up. It never ceases to amaze me. And I'd love to know if you need prayer today, you say, Reed, I, I want a relationship with Jesus. I've gone in that summer slump as well, and I need a fresh start today with one who's perfect in all of his ways. If that's you, I'd just love for you to slip your hand up right now so I can see you. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. All over this room, I love it. I love it. Put your hands down. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, you see who raised their hands. And I pray right now that this relationship would birth. It still marvels me that the God who created the universe and everybody in this room would want to have a relationship, a personal relationship. It's not some distant, far off God, but you're as close as the mention of your name, that we draw close to you and you actually draw closer to us. That you know how many hairs are upon our head that you have every day ordained for us and they're all written in your book before one day came to be, that you have a plan for us, that before we were formed in the womb, you knew us, before we were born, you set us apart. You've got it all mapped out and we want a relationship with you so we might live the life better than the way we were living it because we do a poor job of managing the life that you've given us. So if you raise your hand, I want you just to confess with your mouth, just say this out loud. Maybe just say it under your breath. Really just mean it is the only true thing. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you gave your life for mine. You paid the price of sin that was meant for me. And you rose from the grave and you give me the power to do the same thing by putting my faith in you today. I wanna have a relationship with you, Jesus. Come into my life, lead it. I surrender it to you. Thank you for giving your life for me. And then just tell him you love him. He loves to hear, I love you. I love you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation today for what he's doing in this room?